Support for Alabama Aloud comes from Ernest and Hadley booksellers of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, who strive to provide a unique selection of new, used, and rare books from local, regional, and international sources. Information about online orders at ernestandhadleybooks.com. From Troy Public Radio, this is Alabama Aloud. I'm Don Noble. Alabama Aloud is the only podcast where you can hear Alabama stories read in their entirety. Today, I'll be reading two stories, Seeing Eye by Brad Watson and Falling by Marlon Barton. Brad Watson took the MFA in fiction writing from the University of Alabama. He is the author of two volumes of stories and two novels, The Heaven of Mercury and Miss Jane. Watson is the winner of the Harper Lee Award for Alabama's Distinguished Writer, among other honors. Seeing Eye is surely one of the only short stories ever to have a service dog as protagonist. The dog came to the curb's edge and stopped. The man holding onto his halter stopped beside him. Across the street, the signal flashed the words, Don't walk. The dog saw the signal, but paid little notice. He was trained to see what mattered, the absence of moving traffic. The signal kept blinking. The cars kept driving through the intersection. He watched the cars, listened to the intensity of their engines, the arid whine of their tires. He listened for something he'd become accustomed to hearing, the buzz and tumbling of switches from the box on the pole next to them. The dog associated it with the imminent stopping of the cars. He looked back over his right shoulder at the man, who stood with his head cocked, listening to the traffic. A woman behind them spoke up. Huh, she said, the light's stuck. The dog looked at her, then turned back to watch the traffic, which continued to rush through the intersection without pause. I'm going down a block, the woman said. She spoke to the man. Would you like me to show you a detour? No telling how long this light will be. No, no, thank you, the man said. We'll just wait a little bit. Right, Buck? The dog looked back over his shoulder at the man, then watched the woman walk away. Good luck, the woman said. The dog's ears stood up and he stiffened for just a second. She said, luck, not Buck the man said, laughing easily, and reaching down to scratch the dog's ears. He gripped the loose skin on Buck's neck with his right hand and gave it an affectionate shake. He continued to hold the halter guide loosely with his left. The dog watched the traffic rush by. "'We'll just wait here, Buck,' the man said. "'By the time we go a block out of our way, the light will have fixed itself.' He cleared his throat and cocked his head as if listening for something. The dog dipped his head and shifted his shoulders in the halter. The man laughed softly. If we went down a block, I'll bet that light would get stuck, too. We'd be following some kind of traveling glitch across town. We could go for miles and then end up in some field and a voice saying, I suppose you're wondering why I've summoned you here. It was the longest they'd ever stood waiting for traffic to stop. The dog saw people across the street wait momentarily glance around, then leave. He watched the traffic. It began to have a hypnotic effect upon him, the traffic, the blinking crossing signal. 
his focus on the next move, the crossing, on the implied courses of the pedestrians around them, and those still waiting at the opposite curb, on the potential obstructions ahead, dissolved into the rare luxury of wandering attention. The sounds of the traffic grinding through the intersection were diminished by a small oral dot in the back of his mind, and he became aware of the regular beat of a slow-turning box fan in an open window of the building behind them. Odd scents distinguished themselves in his nostrils and blended into a rich funk that swirled about the pedestrians who stopped next to them, a secret aromatic history that eddied about him even as the pedestrians muttered among themselves and moved on. The hard, clean smell of new shoe leather seeped from the air-conditioned stores, overlaying the drift of worn leather and grime that eased from tiny, musty pores in the sidewalk. He snuffled at them and sneezed. In a trembling confusion, he was aware of all that was carried in the breeze, the strong odor of tobacco and the sharp rake of its smoke, the gasoline and exhaust fumes and the stench of aging rubber, the fetid waves that rolled through it all from garbage bins in the alleys and on the back street curbs. He lowered his head and shifted his shoulders in the harness like a boxer. "'Easy, Buck,' the man said. Sometimes in their room, the man paced the floor and seemed to say his words in time with his steps until he became like a lulling clock to Buck as he lay resting beneath the dining table. He dozed to the man's mumbling and the sifting sounds of his fingers as they grazed the pages of his book. At times in their dark room, the man sat on the edge of his cot and scratched Buck's ears and spoke to him. Panorama, Buck, he would say, that's the most difficult to recall. I can see the details with my hands, with my nose, my tongue. It brings them back. But the big picture, I feel like I must be replacing it with something phony, like a Disney movie or something. Buck looked up at the man's shadowed face in the dark room, at his small eyes in their sallow depressions. On the farm where he'd been raised before his training at the school, Buck's name had been Pete. The children and the old man and the woman had tussled with him, thrown sticks, said, Pete, good old Pete. They called out to him, mumbled the name into his fur. But now the man always said Buck, in the same tone of voice, soft and gentle, as if the man were speaking to himself, as if Buck were really not there. I miss colors, Buck, the man would say. It's getting harder to remember them. The blue planet. I remember that. Pictures from space, from out in the blackness. Looking up from the intersection, Buck saw birds dart through the sky between buildings as quickly as they slipped past the open window at dawn. He heard their high-pitched cries so clearly that he saw their beady eyes, their barbed tongues flicking between parted beaks. He salivated at the dusky taste of a dove once he'd held in his mouth. And in his most delicate bones, he felt the murmur of some incessant activity, the low hum beyond the visible world. His hackles rose and his muscles tingled with electricity. There was a metallic whirring, like a big fat June bug stuck on its back, followed by the dull clunk of the switch in the traffic control box. Cars stopped, the lane opened up before them, and for a moment no one moved. 
as if the empty-eyed vehicles were not to be trusted, restrained only by some fragile miracle of faith. He felt the man carefully regrip the leather harness. He felt the activity of the world spool down into the tight and riffled tunnel of their path. Forward, Buck, said the man. He leaned into the harness and moved them into the world. Seeing Eye, published by W. W. Norton and Company, Incorporated, was included in Last Days of the Dogmen, Stories, copyright 1996 by Brad Watson, used with permission of the publisher, W. W. Norton and Company, Incorporated, all rights reserved. Marlon Barton, known to all as Bart, is the author of three story collections and two novels. Barton is the first winner of the Truman Capote Prize for Achievement in the Short Story. He is a native of Alabama's Black Belt, where most of his fiction, whether serious, or as in this case, comic pathetic, is set. I must have been a fool like no other in DeMarville, Alabama, to think that I could save my marriage to Juanita by chasing after the grand prize at the Belmont Chicken Drop. But I guess I was just as desperate as those chickens must have felt as they dropped out of that airplane door from 300 feet above ground, all of them looking like a string of feathered skydivers without parachutes. You've got to remember, though, that chickens, or at least some game chickens, can fly when they absolutely have to. So none of them crashed and burned like my marriage was about to, or like that airplane did later. Juanita didn't really want to go at first, but I talked her into it, told her it would be something unusual, something people would be talking about for a long time. The poster I'd seen said there was going to be a parade before the main event, and we drove on over early Saturday morning so that we could get a good spot on Main Street which is where I knew the parade would have to come since it's pretty much the only street in Belmont. We ended up parking in a vacant lot and had to pay a man $2 to squeeze into a space between a beat-up van and an old dented Cadillac with expired Tennessee plates. Exactly what kind of parade is it, Juanita said, before we got out of the truck. She checked her lipstick in the mirror. Just a parade, with floats, maybe a band, I don't know for sure. Well, there's all kinds of parades. Christmas parades, Thanksgiving parades, Fourth of July parades. What's this one? Seems like you'd know since you're the one who wanted to come so bad. It's a chicken parade, I guess. You're not telling me that they're going to try to march a bunch of damn chickens down the street. If I hadn't known better, I would have thought that she was beginning to get a little mad at me but I did know better. We never got mad at each other anymore, not really, which wasn't all that good a thing, believe it or not. If you ask me, people who don't fight don't love. Or at least one of them doesn't. We used to have awful fights, world champion events, but no more. I doubt they're going to march chickens, I said. Maybe it'll be a bunch of floats in the shape of chickens. Why would they want to do that? Parades are to celebrate things. I guess they're going to celebrate the mighty chicken, 
Why, she said, like all this was something to take as serious as a funeral. Because of the big event later, I told her, it'll just be something fun. Come on. We climbed out of the truck and I grabbed the two lawn chairs we'd brought. Juanita got the little cooler filled with Cokes. We found a good spot in front of the post office and sat down. Sure enough, after a while, I heard some firecrackers way down at the other end of the street, and people started standing up. I figured the parade was beginning, and kind of wanted to see if there was a big chicken float. I looked over at Juanita for a second. She didn't seem to have heard the firecrackers. She just stared across the street, like maybe she was thinking about some good time she'd had years ago with someone other than me. Like I said, we'd had our problems. Maybe more than most, to be honest. Daddy used to say, you've got to keep a woman off balance. If she don't cook, he'd say, raise hell. If she cooks, don't eat. I used to follow that advice, and I used to drink a good bit. If I was drunk enough, I'd fight sometimes. I never hurt anybody bad, though, except myself. Once, back when things got real rough between us about two years ago, I mean one day when Juanita and me had had some kind of screaming match about my drinking and about whether or not we could stay married, I took off out of the house and after a crazy night of drinking and fighting and showing everybody how I didn't give a damn about anything, I ended up wrecking a friend's truck and almost killing myself. Juanita finally came to see me in the hospital after I'd given up on her. I told her I was a new man. I stayed home, got a little raise at the paper mill, and quit taking my daddy's advice. I did all the right things, and Juanita bragged on me to her friends. She was a satisfied woman. She'd finally turned me into a good man, she said, like she'd been trying to for all these years. Things were good, at least for a while. The firecrackers started getting louder now. A few went pop, 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 real close by. Then whole long strings fired off, sounding like machine guns, too hot to touch. In a minute, the first float rolled by, but it wasn't in the shape of a chicken. It was only a green pickup truck jacked way off the ground with a bunch of guys in back drinking beer and wearing feathers glued to t-shirts. They looked more like molted chickens than anything you'd see at a 4-H show. All of them strutted, flapped their arms, and squawked. I did think it was kind of funny, but Juanita looked at me and didn't even bother to roll her eyes or say a word. She could have been listening to her mother tell her how to rearrange the kitchen cabinets for the look on her face. All it did was make me think again how far from each other we'd gotten. At least when we were fighting, we knew the other one was there. We had done real well for a while, though, after I quit drinking and carrying on. We'd lived like normal people. At least I guessed we had. I'd never really known any well enough to be sure, only seen them on television. Then, after about six months, something started happening. First, the sex went downhill. I could still satisfy her, though it did take a little more work on my part, but I didn't mind. The thing is, after a while, she just stopped wanting it. I wondered if she was sick. Maybe had some kind of female problem. I was plenty worried. But she said, no, that's not it. She couldn't explain. 
I'm just never in the mood anymore, she said. I don't know why. And she stopped keeping the house clean the way she used to. Even let the kitchen get dirty, which she'd never done before. She always took pride in how she kept the place. I'd never cared much one way or the other about how the house looked. Another truck went by now, pulling a flatbed wagon with a big cage on it. A rooster was inside, perched on a wooden box. Above the cage, a sign said, Behold a mighty cock. But someone had crossed out the B in Behold. Juanita shook her head without looking at me. Finally, after she convinced me she didn't have a female problem, it was just like we got to be strangers with each other. We'd drive somewhere, maybe to Tuscaloosa or over to Meridian to go see a movie, and wouldn't have anything to say. Things would be the same in the living room at night or at the breakfast table in the morning, depending on what shift I was working. I didn't know what to think. It seemed like if we didn't have anything to yell at each other about, then we didn't have anything to say at all. That's the way we started living. I knew we couldn't last. I'd always thought if we ended, it would be in the middle of some terrible storm full of lightning and thunder, both of us shouting above it all. But here it looked like we were just going to let things die of some disease we couldn't name, something you might catch from bad chicken. Another wagon came rolling past then. This one pulled by an old international tractor. It had a sign above it, too. Chicken Drop Prizes, written in great big letters. Everyone started clapping and yelling real loud, like at a football game where the home team has just scored. Third prize sat on a little table at the front. It was a toolbox, bright red and opened up so that you could see new tools sticking out of it. Second prize was a washing machine. And then there was the grand prize, which is why everybody was clapping so hard. A redhead in a black bikini held up a sign and kept turning it around and around. Gulf Shores or Bust, the sign said. Four nights, all expenses. I didn't know if people were clapping for the grand prize or the redhead. Probably both. She sure looked good, though just like Juanita did on our honeymoon down at Orange Beach. And Juanita still looked good, I'm here to tell you. If she'd been up on that wagon, people would have clapped just as loud, or maybe louder, and I would have been leading the cheer. I've never been the jealous type. I say, be proud of what's yours. Of course, I was afraid that I wasn't going to have her much longer. If someone stops wanting you, doesn't care to lay claim anymore, there's not much hope. I knew that. But I hadn't given up, not yet. Even though I'd gotten that raise at work, Juanita and I hadn't been able to afford any kind of real trip in a few years. If I could get lucky and win that grand prize, we could go down and maybe have a second honeymoon, walk on the hot sand in the daytime, and warm up the sheets at night. Hell, maybe we'd even get into some big old fight about something, and then cool ourselves off in the midnight waves with our clothes lying up on the beach. It was a dream, I know, a long shot, a crapshoot. But sometimes you just have to believe. You've got to fool yourself. And if I couldn't win her the grand prize, then maybe I could get a hold of the washing machine and have something to give her other than just my love 
which she didn't seem to want any more. Maybe a new washer would look good to her, I thought. It was all a matter of catching the right chicken. I told Juanita that maybe there would be a band playing, but I didn't hear or see one. The next couple of floats were nothing but flatbed wagons stacked with chickens in cages. There were probably about thirty or so of them altogether, looking like maybe they were on their way to market. They couldn't know that they were about to soar from a great windy height, like a circle of buzzards. I figured it would be the most thrilling event in their dumb lives, and I wished that I could do something like it. Look who's coming next, Juanita said then, and I heard something extra in her voice that hadn't been there in a while. So I looked and wasn't too happy with what I saw. It was Charlie Armstrong, standing in the back of a long bed pickup, throwing one of those big styrofoam airplanes in a loop over his head, catching it, throwing it, catching it again. And when he missed, someone on the street would hand it back up to him. Along the side of the truck was a sign that read, Our Fearless Pilot. People started cheering like he was some war hero back from glory. I'd known him a long time, since high school, and always liked him all right. He was still about as crazy as I used to be, people said. Maybe crazier. Back when I heard he was learning how to fly, I figured he'd kill himself doing something dumb, like trying to fly under a telephone wire or land on the highway. He'd never gotten married, but word was he had a couple of yard children. And back right before Christmas, he'd spent a few nights in jail for fighting. I told Juanita about it. That figures, she said, sounding real disgusted. He never will grow up. But something in her voice had sounded like a high school girl. She'd known him a long time, too. In fact, She'd been one of his girlfriends back in school. Every once in a while, she'd mention him, and he was probably the only person she could make me jealous about. He came riding by us then and spotted Juanita. Hey, girl, he hollered, then threw the airplane right toward her, and she yelled, thinking it was going to hit her. But, of course, it turned up into its loop all of a sudden, and he caught it just as smooth as could be when it came back around. "'You're still crazy, ain't you?' she said. "'You know it,' he hollered. Then he waved at me, grinning, and I waved back. Hell, you couldn't help but like him. The parade passed on by and went out of sight then. Everybody started picking up their chairs and their coolers and their babies, which is one thing Juanita and I didn't have and never would. She told me before we got married that she couldn't have any. She used to cry about it some.' I always told her it was all right with me if we didn't have any. But from the way she'd cry, I could tell that she wanted to be somebody's mama. Everyone along the sides of the street headed in a slow walk to the big field outside of town. Some people put down blankets after they picked a good spot. Then they broke open their coolers and started eating fried chicken and potato salad and all sorts of picnic food. Juanita and I bought some hot dogs from a stand nearby and sat down in our chairs and ate and drank our Cokes. Maybe it was because of the way we were sitting, with our chairs a little too far apart, but we didn't look like the other couples sitting around us. 
Or maybe it was just because we didn't have a blanket spread out between us, one with a baby crawling around on it. We got through eating, and I started wondering just when the big event was going to begin. I got up and stretched the muscles in my legs and tightened the strings on my tennis shoes. I hoped I wasn't too out of shape. "'What do you call yourself doing?' Juanita said. "'You look silly as hell.' "'I'm getting ready for the chicken drop. "'I want to be able to run and cut back and forth real quick. "'What I really want is to win us that grand prize. "'Wouldn't you like that?' I said, "'and found myself holding my breath. "'It would be all right, I reckon. "'We haven't really been anywhere in a long time.' She sure didn't sound too excited about it. I let my breath out real slow. I got to go register and pay the entrance fee, I said, then walked over to a table not far from the hot dog stand. The old man there told me they'd line us all up in a little while as soon as the plane came over. Then they'd shoot a pistol to signal that it was time to go after the chickens. Once they started dropping, that is... "'Check the tag around its foot,' he said. "'The prize are written on there. "'Of course, most ain't got nothing written on them except chicken, "'which means you can take it home and eat it, but that's all. "'It's a consolation prize. "'Some of them do look like some pretty good eating, though, "'even if they are small. "'I walked on back toward Juanita, "'and about that time heard an airplane engine "'wound out like a chainsaw. "'I wondered why they weren't trying to get us lined up, then Charlie Armstrong came zooming over the tops of the trees in his crop duster, a long white scarf around his neck, looking like some fighter pilot back in World War I. He turned a tall loop, just like that styrofoam plane he'd been throwing. Then when he came out of it, he climbed fast and rolled out. It was air show time. The chickens would have to wait their turn for glory. And so would I. Would you just look at him, Juanita said. He's acting like a fool, like some kid who ain't got any better sense. He's going to get himself killed. Like I almost did when I wrecked that truck, I said, or like when I used to stand in the doorway of a bar and yell, Everybody here is a son of a gun and ain't none of you sons of guns leaving. She turned and looked at me funny. What do you want to bring all that up for? That's in the past. I didn't answer just drank the last of my Coke, wishing for a minute it was a beer or something stronger. Old Charlie made another loop and roll out, this time even tighter than before. Then he flew so low over the field that none of us thought he was going to clear the tops of the trees at the edge. He barely did make it. His wheels even touched one high limb. I saw Juanita hold her breath, but she didn't say anything. She held it again when he made a sharp dive from way up, and came down so fast and hard it looked like he was going to bury the nose of the plane and himself three feet into the ground. But he pulled it out and made it over the trees again. He flew two more passes, finally dipped his wings at us and waved. Then he was gone. That was something, Juanita said, but I could see that she was relieved more than anything. I've seen better air shows. Seems like he might have done a little more, I said. Not sure at all why I said it. She looked at me a second time, like I'd cussed in church. 
In a little bit, we could hear the sound of a plane again, but it wasn't the same one. The engine ran so much lower and smoother, and then we saw it over the field, flying in a big circle with its door wide open. It was the plane Charlie took skydivers up in, somebody said. I figured while Charlie had been putting on the air show, other people had been loading the chickens. I stood up and stretched again, then started getting nervous. Maybe I didn't have much to gain by all this, but I knew how much I had to lose. Let me have your registration slips, a big fellow called out. He carried a pistol in one hand, looked like a twenty-two revolver, and a couple of registration slips in the other. You going to wish me luck, I said to Juanita. Break a leg, she said. She tried to smile. Ever notice how when somebody tries to smile, it's worse than when they don't? We all gave the man with the pistol our slips. There were maybe about fifty of us, including a few women. The big man and the fellow who'd been selling hot dogs took a long piece of string and stretched it out on the ground. All right, the big man said. Everybody get behind this. Don't run till you hear me shoot. And don't worry, I ain't going to kill nobody. The plane came back around again, and I could see someone standing in the door. My hands started sweating, and I crouched down like a runner at a track meet, then took a couple of deep breaths and cocked my head sideways so I could see the plane. The first chicken came dropping out, the second one right after. Ready, the man shouted. Then he shot, and my stomach tightened so you would have thought the bullet had hit me. All fifty of us ran to the middle of the field like some crazy herd, and the chickens dropped out fast, fell hard, then must have figured out where the hell they were, higher above the world than they'd ever been. And something in their tiny yard-bird brains told them to stretch out their wings. After that, they started spiraling down, one after another, like strange-looking buzzards all the wrong colors. Meanwhile, the crowd spread out, everybody sighting in on a bird and waiting for it to touch down. The only problem was, for each bird, there were about three of us waiting. The one above my little crowd got close, and before it landed down among us, cut to the right and hit the ground running. I went after it, bent down, and scooped it up, just as a woman and some kid grabbed at it. I got a good grip on it and held it to my chest while its wings flapped the hell out of my face. Let me tell you, a mouthful of feathers don't taste too good. Finally, I looked at its tag. All it said was, chicken. I threw it up in the air, and of course, neither the woman nor the kid went after it, knowing it couldn't be one of the prize-marked birds, or I would have kept it. When I looked up again, the sky seemed to be raining chickens. Charlie made another pass over the field, and chickens streamed out of the door, long lines of them and they'd flap their wings, catch themselves on the air, and start the long ride down. A white chicken, I mean pearl white, ran right past me then, like some sweet young thing worried about her virtue. I grabbed at it, but the woman got to it first and caught it by the leg. That thing squawked and fought like a hungry fox had it in its jaws. The woman read the tag and let it go with such a look on her face that somehow it made me think about Juanita. It was the same kind of expression I'd seen for so long from her that it had gotten to be natural, something I didn't even hardly notice. 
but on another woman I could see so easy what it was. Nothing but disappointment. I saw another bird about to touch down now at the edge of the field, and nobody else seemed to see it at first. I took off running, but even though I had a good head start, another fellow saw the bird, then me, and closed in. I poured on the juice, though, and got to the chicken a good ten yards ahead of him. I made a fine grab, checked the tag, and could hardly believe it didn't say chicken. Instead, there were the words toolbox. For a second, I felt like a winner. I'd never won any kind of prize in my life, and here I had one in my hand. But it wasn't what I wanted, or needed, rather. Hey, I hollered to the fellow walking away. He turned around and adjusted the cap on his head, then looked at me like I'd stolen something of his. This one's the toolbox, I said. You want it? He grinned at me. You serious? Yeah. Bring it on, partner. I started running with it and handed the bird off to him as I went past, heading back to the scattered, stampeding herd as fast as I could. Thanks, he yelled. This is what I wanted. The hell with the beach. At least one of us is getting what he wants, I thought. I found a spot back among the crowd. Most of the chickens had landed by this time, and everyone was running after them, picking them up and throwing them down, except one older woman, who was walking away with one under each arm. "'What you got, Granny?' a man in cut-off jeans hollered. "'Sunday dinner,' she said, and seemed just as satisfied as she could be, like she had two prizes that were better than anything that had been on the parade wagon. I envied her in a way I couldn't explain. Four last birds swooped down now, then two of them turned in my direction and came zeroing in for a landing. But there were about ten or fifteen of us, waiting to make it a rough one for them. One of the birds got caught before it touched down, but the other hit the ground in stride, ran past the legs of a tall skinny fellow, who seemed just too tall to reach down and grab it in time, and then it made for the tree line like we were all after it with evil in our hearts, or a notion of unhealthy love on our minds. I took off quick and had the lead again, but two guys, big guys, came on fast and bumped me from both sides and sent me sprawling over about ten yards of hard ground. I watched from the dirt as they ran on into the woods after it, cussing and hollering. One of those last four birds must have been the grand prize chicken, because nobody had hollered out yet that they'd caught it. Just my luck, I thought. I might have been right behind the prize bird. That close to a trip to the beach, and maybe back into Juanita's heart. But there I was, sitting in the dirt, like some kid wishing he had a toy truck to play with, but all he's got is an old bent spoon his mama threw out. I thought about jumping up then and going after those guys who had knocked me down. Fighting them, maybe, and finding that chicken for myself. But I didn't know if they'd knocked me down on purpose or not, and if they hadn't caught the chicken yet, it was probably already roosting in some tree way out of their reach, and mine. Besides, I didn't want to start back fighting and carrying on like I used to. I was through with all that. Old Charlie could keep it up if he wanted, but not me. As it turned out, though, whether or not I'd gone after those two guys or the chicken didn't really matter. Because, as I sat there with my hands in the dirt, thinking about Juanita and all we'd once had, 
and all I still wanted from her, any chance for my marriage to last, started falling from out of the sky. First it was just a sound, like some terrible coughing, and I thought, what's that noise? I should know what that noise is. And maybe I did know, but wouldn't let myself answer. Then, from over the tops of the trees at the far end of the field, I saw Charlie's plane coming in low and fast. Too fast. And I could see the propeller. See it? Understand? It sat at a dead angle. No more coughing sound. The airplane's nose was too low and the tail too high, like Charlie was trying to do a flip to impress everybody, not caring that he would land flat on his back, his wheels stuck in the air, maybe leaving him trapped inside a dead metal bird. But instead of flipping, Charlie got the plane to drop hard, like some mean hawk diving. Only he managed to flatten the plane out at the last. He touched down, then the plane went spinning sideways, the tip of one wing digging into the ground, the tail still in the air, swinging out of control, the other wing coming around shaking, and at such an angle that I thought it would break off. The whole plane looked like a wild, sick bird, completely out of its head. Men started running toward it just as the plane came to a stop. Then I woke up from some kind of drunk daydream, it seemed like, finally believing what I'd seen. I got to my feet and started for the plane, too, not even thinking about Juanita anymore, where she might be, or how scared she was feeling for her old boyfriend. By the time I got to the plane... A couple of fellows had opened the door and crawled in. I stood there sweating with my hands on my sides and watched as they pulled out first one guy, then another. Both of their faces were cut and bloody, but they started moving enough there on the ground so that I could see they were alive. I knew somebody had to go in and get Charlie, and I hoped he was still alive, too. It's hard to imagine a man like him really dying. People want to believe some men are just too tough and crazy, that death can't touch them. But it can happen. I know. I'd come close myself in a totaled-out pickup truck at the end of a wild, stupid night. I knew how easy a man can die. I took a breath then and started toward the door of the plane. But just as I got close, the same two fellows went back in. I can't say I wasn't relieved at the sight of them. It seemed like they were in there for a long time and I was imagining all kinds of things. But finally here they came, carrying Charlie out. One had him by his feet, and the other was at his shoulders. He wasn't moving. My stomach just sunk. Somebody hollered, fire, real loud then, and we all looked and saw flames coming out around the engine. Just as quick as anything, though, a boy I knew named Luke, who raced stock cars over in Meridian, came running with a fire extinguisher from out of his truck, he sprayed the flames out before they got dangerous. The two guys had Charlie stretched out on the ground now, and Charlie moved a little and blinked his eyes real hard. Thank the Lord, I thought, and suddenly felt a whole lot better about the world and everybody in it. Then I saw something I don't guess I expected, but it made sense in a sad sort of way. Juanita came walking out of the crowd. It was just at the moment I'd started thinking about her again, wondering where I could find her and what I could say to her to make her feel better and maybe calm her down. But she wasn't looking for me. I saw that clear. 
She went right to Charlie and kneeled down at the top of his head. Then she took her hands and put them to the sides of his face and bent close over him. She whispered to him, and he opened his eyes again and said something. The way Juanita looked there, holding Charlie's head in her hands, rubbing him so gently, was just like she was his mama, come to take care of her wild boy. And I felt like a forgotten son. She finally looked up at the crowd and found me. She didn't have to say anything. My marriage had fallen right out of the sky along with Charlie, and no dumb prize could make it rise to the air again. It's almost funny. I'd become what Juanita had thought she wanted, but she'd found out different, or at least I had. I couldn't hold it against her. She needed Charlie, or someone like him, just as much as he needed her, even if he didn't know it. It had sure taken me a long time to know how much I'd needed her. In a minute or so, I heard a siren way in the distance. It sounded like some kind of signal. I walked up to Juanita and Charlie then. I'm going with him in the ambulance, she said to me. I know. But it doesn't mean anything. He just needs help. It's all right, I said, and bent over and put my hand on her shoulder. She looked at me for another second, like she needed to explain more. I just slowly walked away. What was clear to me wasn't clear to Juanita yet, but I knew it would be. When I got to my truck, I saw a chicken walking by the side of it and pecking at the ground. I don't know what possessed me exactly, but I picked it up and looked at its tag. It just said, chicken. I knew it would. I took out an old croaker sack from behind my truck seat and wrapped the chicken in it, then put it in the cab and took the chicken on home with me. I'd have to go to the hospital later and get Juanita, and I figured on the way home I could stop and get a little feed out at the co-op. That's what I did. Juanita didn't even ask why I was buying chicken feed. She really didn't have much to say about anything. Neither did I. I heard later, a few weeks later, that somebody found the grand prize chicken out in the woods the next day. I guess they took the trip. I hope they had a good time. Juanita left me not long after that. It was more a relief than anything. Sometimes your heart carries even more than you know. She married Charlie about a year later. They sent me an invitation, but I didn't go. Sometimes I'd pass Charlie on the street. He limped for a while after that crash. Not bad, though. Then I heard that Juanita and Charlie adopted a kid. Somebody said it was really one of Charlie's, and that there hadn't been any adoption at all. Who knows the truth of something like that? I've still got the chicken I took home. She's a black-breasted red, I found out, a fine bird. I don't ever plan on eating her. I even built a little coop for her, and she spends her days strutting around the backyard in fine style. I named her Queen. I treat her just like one. Falling was first published in Appalachie Quarterly and is used here by the permission of the author Marlon Barton and Frederick C. Beale, publisher.
We hope you don't keep Alabama Aloud all to yourself. Subscribe to our podcast and share it with a friend. Better yet, write us a review in the iTunes store. It helps other people find the podcast. Also, give us a shout out on social media. Alabama Allow is a production of Troy Public Radio and produced by Austin Toy and Kyle Gassett. Special thanks to Matt Clower, Buddy Johnson, and Michelle Mowry. So, until next time, when you'll hear more of Alabama Read Aloud, I'm Don Noble. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.